camps. It's one of those familiar stories that, that we have in the Scriptures that most of us know. And I asked myself, is there more we can learn from this very familiar story? Often when we find these familiar readings in the Scriptures, we kind of just gloss over them very quickly. Oh yeah, I know that. And we jump on a few paragraphs ahead. But this story reminds me of Camp uh, Christopher Lake Bible Camp in Saskatchewan. And I think I've shared this with you before, but I just want to use one little portion of it to show you that I believe that in my pastoral experience from time to time, I have a Peter experience. And that certainly happened to me at Christopher Lake Bible Camp when I was speaking to a group of teenagers. And on our final day, as we were making our way from the beach to our final chapel service, a young man who had been working on a new residence at that camp came out of that building and he had severed his thumb while working on the skill saw. And of course, everybody gathered around him and the nurse of the camp immediately went into action and had one of the counselors phone Prince Albert to have an ambulance come to the camp, which was only about 35 minutes from Prince Albert. I was standing behind everybody witnessing this, and I had this still quiet voice within me clearly say, Gary, if you pray for that boy, I will heal him. My immediate response was, okay. And I bowed my head and I began to pray. And that same quiet voice said to me once again, Gary, pray for that boy out loud. The long and short of the story is I didn't do it. Many of you know that I have been a truck driver. I before I was called by God to come back into pastoral ministry, I drove a truck for 10 years and traveled to North America doing various things. And when you're a truck driver, there is a lot of time that you have just between you and God. Miles and miles and miles of driving. And while doing that, I, I often ask myself, why was I so doubtful at that moment at Christopher Lake when I was so aware that it was the Spirit of Jesus speaking to me? It wasn't that I didn't have faith. I'm a born-again believer, I was saying to myself. I trust Jesus as my Savior. And I witnessed at camp Jesus entering the lives of many of the teenagers on their way to their faith. I joined them in campfires while many shared their joy and how they felt changed in their lives and they were looking forward to going home a new person. I witnessed parents at the back of the chapel weeping as they witnessed their teenagers come forward and confess their sin and welcome Jesus into your life. While only hours later, why was I so ineffective when Jesus was calling me to get out of the boat and walk on the water? Well, we can find the answers in the words of Jesus from our passage of Scripture this morning. I have learned this week. When he said to Peter, You of little faith, why 
Did you doubt? Understand I'm not talking about doubt as the world would use that expression. Like if someone spoke to you about a friend who excelled in, in athletic endeavors and they said to you, Bobby has just failed to make the basketball team. Your first response was, might be, I doubt that. Or someone would say to you, Bobby was selected to join the Canadian national track and field team. You might respond with, no doubt. No, I'm speaking of the kind of, not that kind of doubt. I'm referring to spiritual doubt. Where is all that doubt coming from? Let me suggest to you two things this morning. Last week we spoke about a woman, nameless woman, who Jesus said had what? Great faith. We're speaking to Peter, a follower of Christ, who knew Jesus. And he says of Peter, you of little faith. Well, what was the difference between the nameless woman and Peter? One thing, spiritual doubt. Jesus didn't say, uh, take the story we spoke of last week. This woman was desperate. She was determined. She was expectant. There was no doubt in her mind what Jesus could do. And her daughter was immediately healed. So I'm referring to spiritual doubt this morning, and I suggest our Bible today points to three ingredients, three principles that we need to understand. First, spiritual doubt. Spiritual doubt finds its foundation in the playground of the evil one whom the Bible identifies as the devil. Doubt finds its foundation in the devil. One might ask, how do you draw that conclusion, Pastor? Well, let us understand the context of this event in light of the preceding things that the disciples witnessed and participated in. We see at least nine miraculous events that had taken place before this event. Matthew 8, Jesus heals a leper. Again in 8, he calmed the winds and the storm as his disciples were fishing and were frightened. Also in Matthew 8, he released demons from a possessed man. Matthew 9, he healed a paralytic. As well in 9, he healed a woman who had been bleeding since birth. He raised a child from the dead, according to Matthew 9. In Matthew 12, he healed a blind and possessed man. And just prior to this event, Jesus fed 5,000 men, plus women and children, with two fish and five loaves of bread. So here we are. All of these things the disciples witnessed, all of these things they participated in with Jesus. Prior to the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had heard about John the Baptist, and he was saddened. He wanted to withdraw, the Bible says, in a boat and find some quiet time. But as he made his way to the lake and the crowds that followed him, he had compassion for and he realized that it was a long way back for them before they could have any food. And so he said, bring me the fish, bring me the loaves. And he fed, some commentaries suggest perhaps up to twelve or 13,000 people. 
The miracle of feeding the place. And guess who was there distributing the baskets? Our friend Peter. Our friend Peter. Well, the Bible says, well, the people were gathered, gathering the leftover fish. Jesus said to his disciples, uh, I want you to go on the boat and go to the other shore. I'm going to stay here and dismiss these people. And he wanted to have some time alone. So he took some moments on the side of the mountain to pray. And it could have been 15 minutes. It could have been an hour. We're not sure. But the reality is when he turned to the back to the shore, the boat was a long way off. The wind was up and the, and the waves were battering the boat. Jesus wanted to be with his disciples and he left the shore and began to walk on the water towards his disciples. The first impression was, wow, this has got to be a ghost. This couldn't be. But Peter, old Rocky himself, no way, he said. It's Jesus. Look, he's walking in the top of the water. And Peter shouted out to Jesus because he was quite a distance away. Lord, if this is you, if this isn't a ghost, if this isn't my imagination, can I come to you? Jesus said, come then. Peter, full of confidence and assurance, got out of the boat and began to walk on the water towards Jesus. But then in a flash he saw the waves and felt the strength of the wind. And at, the command, at, at that moment his confidence was replaced with instant doubt. At that very moment his confidence was replaced with instant doubt. In the flash of a second, doubt entered into his thought pattern. Jesus' words ring out loudly this, this morning in so many ways. Why is it when we are so sure Jesus wants us to move forward, we take the first step into the water and then a flash of doubt enters into our mind? Where does that doubt come from? You say to yourself, I said to myself, I'm confident Jesus wants me to take this step of faith. I am ready. And as I begin to take those few steps with Jesus, I'm learning to understand my faith steps that Jesus is asking me to do. But because Jesus wants me to do something, I need to say to you that the arch enemy of God doesn't want you to do it. He doesn't want you to take that step of faith. He doesn't want you to do what God wants you to do. And he enters doubt into your mind. Clearly, doubt is a tool used by the evil one to set our, our agenda different than God's agenda. Doubt finds its footings from the very pit of playground of hell. Why do I say that? Because Satan doesn't want you to do what God wants you to do. He wants to put a stumbling block before you in every way, fashion he can. And he knows that the battleground of our lives is often our mind. And so doubt is initiated by the evil one. But secondly, spiritual doubt finds its growth in the playground of our mind. 
Although the doubt sea may have been planted by the one who stands before God at night accusing the saints, its growth and maturity develop in our minds. Let's be straight. You can't stop, you can't stop thoughts from entering your mind as it is really the command post of our life. But we do have the power to stop entertaining that thought. You see, our mind is the battleground for good and evil. I'm sure we all experience that scenario of two voices sitting on our shoulder, arguing about whether or not we should or shouldn't do something we are contemplating. The core truth, however, is we have, a spirit, we have the spiritual battle, we have the spiritual ability to submit, to dismiss, dismiss something the very moment that it enters. Or we can continue to entertain that thought and let, let it play in our minds. This is what happened to Peter. When he failed to exercise the power of the Holy Spirit to dismiss that thought, now he saw the waves and the wind and began to think, man, was this a stupid idea. What was I thinking? I've done a lot of crazy things in my life, but this is the dumbest. The boat is out of reach. I should have given this more thought. I continually wonder every time I read this story if Peter had only kept his eyes on Jesus and never left, let the wind and waves enter his mind. What, we, what would Jesus have done? What would Peter have done? I don't know about you, but of all the disciples, I tend to see myself a Peter. Why? I can, because I often get, put my foot in my mouth and I don't know how to get it out. I'm not very intellectual. I'm just a blue-collar guy, much like Peter. All the confidence in the world God gives me sometimes when he wants me to do something. But I often don't use the tool I have to dismiss that thought when doubt comes. My personal experience here over the last couple of years immediately begin to overthink it. I believe that is what Jesus meant when he said to Peter, O oh, you of little faith. It's, a, it's spiritual doubt that begins to cause us to question our faith. It seems we immediately begin to play with thoughts in our minds like, God knows I doubt he wouldn't want me to do that. He knows I'm uncomfortable talking to people about him. He knows I struggle with that part of the Bible. He knows my time is limited. He knows I don't have that kind of faith. You're right. He does know that about you. But that is a lie. It's not from him. It's from the evil one. He is not implanting those thoughts. We are choosing to entertain those thoughts when we step out of the water and we take off our eyes off what Jesus wants us to do. And that leads us to this final point. Spiritual doubt is the greatest obstacle to becoming who and what God 
wants you to be. Spiritual doubt is the greatest obstacle that puts brakes on our spiritual life and we don't do what God wants us to do. If God is calling you to step out into the water, be encouraged by his presence. Remember Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let me paraphrase that a little more, and may I add, the Lord your God will be with you wherever he sends or asks you to go or do. I remember 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Or Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Two things we can know for certain. If God is asking you to step out into the water, and if it is God, Satan will immediately plant doubt in your mind. Why? Because he does not want you to succeed. He does not want you to become what God wants you to become. The challenge that I bring to myself is, will I let that seed of doubt be entertained in my mind? I have to say, since our healing service, a number of months ago, doubt has entered my mind on a number of occasions. How I know that that doubt is wrong? Because I begin to ask myself certain things. Are you sure God healed Aaron? Could it not be the medications and the doctors? Do you really think God does that kind of healing today? I find myself right back at Christopher Lake Camp. I ask myself, I hear God speaking to me, are you ready to elevate your faith? Are you ready to really get out of the boat and elevate your faith? I've had a number of affirmations from people to continue with what God is showing me for TBC. But almost immediately I begin to entertain questions which drain my confidence. Is this really God speaking to you? Is this really the direction God wants TBC to go? You know my sins, Lord, and my weaknesses. You see, church, it's a mind game that the devil is trying to play with us. He is trying to plant the seed, and he plants it, and we try to blame him for all of the thoughts we have when those are us entertaining his doubt. Rather than shedding that doubt immediately, we begin to entertain it with all kinds of questions that drain us of our confidence. And so what happens? We don't do it. Because our confidence has been robbed by doubt. You see, church, it's the mind game of the devil 
Let me read you something that really spoke to me this week as I was putting some final thoughts together, and it comes from Romans chapter 12. I think we also all know this verse, but I'm not sure we understand it. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God, cha let God change you into the person he wants you to be by changing the way you think. God recognizes that we entertain and we start to play with doubts on our mind. And what this verse is telling me is God wants to change that way of thinking. He wants your, th your thought pattern to change. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Let God change you. Let God make you a new person by the way you think. I've often thought about this when I think about the Holy Spirit. And knowing that the Holy Spirit lives in me. That when I gave my life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came and took possession of my eternal being. That place that's going to go on into eternity. The Holy Spirit and made his, placed himself in that part of my life. But I'm also learning that the Bible teaches us that we need to be encouraged to let the Holy Spirit move from that eternal part of us to the physical part of us. That's a choice. When we accept Jesus, we receive all of God into that eternal part of us. What is that eternal part of us? It's that part that's made in God's image. And we know, I know by looking at you, God must have a lot of images if it's only physical but it's the eternal part. I asked myself this week, I actually raised my hand. It's almost like I was doing my own altar call. And I asked myself, are you ready to allow the Holy Spirit to move from that part of you that's eternal into the command post of your life? And what is the command post of your life? I want you all to raise your right hand. Good. How about the left one? How about both of them? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But let me ask you this. What part of your body commanded you to raise your hand? Your mind. Your mind is the command post of your life. It's the center post of your life. There's nothing that our body will do that does not come from a command of our mind. When we blink our eyes, guess what? When our heart beats, who's telling our heart to beat? Even though it's an automatic expression, its root is in our mind. Here's the question, church. According to Romans chapter 12, are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit 
not only to dwell in that eternal place that is made in God's image, but are you willing to let him move out into your physical body, starting with the mind? Starting with the mind. Because where does doubt enter? Right in here. And where do we play with that doubt? Right in here. Romans 12 says you don't have to do that. There's a way that you can dismiss the spiritual doubt that comes from the devil and move forward in confidence if you have your mind transformed, if you begin to think differently, knowing that Jesus gives you the power to do exactly what he's asking you to do. Does that mean there's not going to be waves and wind? Sure. Sure. But our mind stays focused on Jesus. Our mind stays focused on what he wants us to do. A, full, a, a faith that doesn't fold is a faith that doesn't allow confidence to be replaced with doubt. Last week, we saw a lady of great faith. She was desperate. She was determined. She was expecting God to do what, he was at, what she was asking. Now we have Peter, a man of little faith. He saw more of what God did than the nameless lady. But you see, her faith had no doubt. No doubt. I'm desperate, I'm determined, I'm expecting God to do what I hear he can do. Peter had little faith. Why? Because he allowed doubt, which was set there by Satan, to begin to control his thoughts. And he began to ask the question, really? The boat's a long way away now. I don't, I'm getting pretty scared here. Well, of course, Jesus, we know, reached his hand out immediately and pulled him out of the water. And it says when Jesus got in the boat, when Jesus got in the boat, it became instantly calm. What does that tell me? It tells me, first of all, to listen to that quiet whisper when God is asking me to do something that is out of my comfort zone. Not to, let, not to overthink it, not to play with it, just believe it. Because if I'm getting a whole, bout of doubt, a whole bunch of doubt that I shouldn't do this, and we're talking about spiritual doubt here, folks, we're not about doubting whether you passed an exam or not. That's worldly doubt. We're talking about spiritual doubt when you know in your heart that God is asking you to do something. We're going to sing a song this morning. Because I believe with all my heart that God is moving this church 
in a different pathway than we've been before. God is moving this church to step out of the boat and walk on the water because he wants us to do different things than we've done before. I know in my heart that there are times, even in this church, that I have Christopher Lake experience. When I'm standing up there before you, and God says to me, I want you to go and pray for this person. My immediate thought is, but I'm preaching, God. I'm preaching. See, that's overthinking it. So I put you on guard. I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to lead this church where God wants this church to go, and I think it's going to be much different than it is today. The question is, are you with me? Do you believe that God has something special for this church? I do. Are you willing to get out of the water then when he asks you? When he says, I would like you to go and comfort this person. I would like you to go and pray with this person. I simply would like you to go wrap your arms around that person that you haven't thought very highly of. Are you going to overthink it? Or are you going to go forward? This morning I want to give us an opportunity. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come. Weren't they great this morning? Where are they? Our young people. So cool.